To start part two of our series, Charles Manson is released on parole. The model citizen that he is, he quickly skips town. Today, we'll look at how he recruited for and built the Manson family, discuss the merits of the Beach Boys classic Kokomo, talk some LSD, and learn the history behind the Spawn Ranch. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you think the Beach Boys music might have been better with Charles Manson in the band, stick around. Couldn't have been worse. This is Necronomapod. I only recall meeting him once. That was when we were invited to Dennis's home to have, have dinner. And one of the Manson family tried to get into the shower with you, right? No, what it was is we had, we had dinner and then they uh, adjourned to the a den and Charlie turned on a strobe light and passed out. It was supposed to be LSD, which I never had, so it declined. And um, I didn't join in that party. There was We were the only people. Bruce Johnson and I went for dinner at their invitation. And we were the only people with clothing. <laughs> it, was, it was rather unusual. So so I just, I, I, I left. I didn't get involved in that whole mess. All right, so let's kick this show off today with a... Like to issue a public apology to Chipper Jones, who I erroneously <laughs> maligned last week. And when you were saying that, I was like, God, does he know how wrong he is? I just let you sink. Uh huh. I forgot that a guy even existed. So it was, uh, it was in fact John Rocker who was the dickhead that I was thinking of. And I don't know what I was thinking, but it was not Chipper Jones. So thank you to the 300 uh, Atlanta Braves fans that uh, <laughs> let me know this week. God damn. So I knew John Rocker had said awful things about New York. Oh, well, thanks for uh, correcting but me. I didn't know it was the same thing you were talking Uh-oh. about. I didn't know he played for the Atlanta Braves. For some reason, I had it in my head. It was like with Boston. Mm. I know Boston and New York, you know, hate each other. I didn't know it was the same thing. What are you going to do? Nah. Nobody's perfect. Nope. Including John Rocker. That's true. And apparently <laughs> the subways of New York. <laughs> but yeah, apologies to Chipper Jones. Yeah. Seems like a swell guy. Good, I've seen him. Good a few ball player, right? Kicked our ass. Yeah. See you I next don't week. feel one way or another about him. He's all right. <laughs> so you're probably a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, anyways. When was the last time they yeah, did anything? N- never. Like <laughs> a long time ago. Roberto Clemente time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take that from two Cleveland Browns fans. What have you guys done recently? Oh Fucking pathetic. <laughs> you guys even know what the playoffs are? I believe Dave made the prediction that the Cleveland Browns were going to go to the Super Bowl this year. Did I make that prediction? <laughs> I believe so. Talent was there. That's ridiculous. <laughs> was it this year or am I thinking of way last year? It might have been last year when Baker was still on the team and stuff. That might have been. Before I everything just know, like he made imploded. The pr- All right, well, even still, I'm making fun of him for it now because I didn't then. <laughs> he made the prediction they were going to go to the Super Bowl. They did not even make the playoffs. I made that prediction all the time. John, Johnny Manziel, <laughs> yeah. we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All 115 quarterbacks we've had since 2015. Yep. It's not great. I know I saw Browns fans online being all pumped up that the Steelers didn't get into the playoffs. Like, oh, get, you know, That's, fuck, fuck this year. That's not what we were playing for, motherfuckers. We were playing to make sure Mike Tomlin keeps his streak alive. He's never had a losing season ever. Mm. That's what that was about. Give a fuck about the playoffs. <laughs> well, and I just like that <laughs> Cleveland fans now, that's what they use as the measuring stick of whether or not it's a good season. Did the Steelers make the playoffs? That's right. No. Fuck yeah! We won! <laughs> Pricks. Yeah. Never had a losing season. That's crazy, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Tomlin never has. What did he just end at? Nine and eight? Yeah. 
That He's only crazy. their third coach. That's wild. That is wild. Chuck Knowles there like what, like 50 years? Mm-hmm. Hey, Long time. You give us Mike Tomlin and I'll start eating uncooked pizza. Deal? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair trade. Is it though? <laughs> Shh. <laughs> you guys are in for a uh, world of trouble the next month as Tom Brady with his crap ass team rolls <laughs> his way through the playoffs and wins the Super Bowl, which he will do. And what are you guys going to say at that point? That'd be what his 114th Super Bowl win. I think probably close roundabout. What, what was their record this year? I, not good. What were they? Eight, eight, nine. nine? They had a losing nine, record right? and he's going to win the Super Bowl. It's I, the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I was looking at the Super Bowl odds the other day. They were huge for Tampa. I swear I almost put 100 bucks on Tampa to win the Super Bowl. You would so. be a fool not to. They were big. It was big odds, too. Really? When those bright lights come on, Tom shines. <laughs> I mean, and you can't. I mean, the man wins. He's a winner. Remember that year that they were down big to Atlanta? We were just. Yes, I remember house. that. He was all drunk, just screaming the whole time about how Tom Brady was going to come back. Yep. This, that, and the other. And then he came back. But it was based he was on just yelling about America and everything. <laughs> when Tom Brady wins, America wins. <laughs> I believe Just Brew Jarrett also wins because he hit a huge square he, he big on, on, on that, that outcome. Yeah. yeah, he had a. Was it a square? Is that I what think it was? It was yeah. Squares. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it was nice. That I had somebody at least rooting with me. <laughs> it's gonna happen, and we're gonna have a whole celebration on the show when it does. It's the whole bonus episode about it. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Like Mike fillets a cardboard cutout of Tom Brady in the corner. So well, that'll be on our, our OnlyFans. I mean, what? Isn't he a single guy now, too? Seems to be. Can you imagine the party he's going to have? Remember last time when they had like that video of him stumbling off that yacht? Yeah. Like, how many has he won? Six? Seven? Seven. Because he has more he has than more the Steelers than... franchise. Steelers have six. Yeah. And do they have the most ever? They're tied with New England. So he so has Tom more has than every other franchise mm-hmm. in NFL history. So, yeah, it's Steelers and Patriots are tied for six, and then Tom has seven. It's crazy. Literally, Tom Brady, number one. <laughs> Muhammad Ali, a distant number two. All right. <laughs> and Jeff Gordon, number three. The greatest athletes of all time. Mm. Stone Cold Steve Austin, number four. <laughs> right? So I'm just saying I'm excited to watch Tom Brady's uh, – Super Bowl run. I'm going to be very disappointed if they lose in week one, but what are you going to do? They won't. They are not going to the Super Bowl. Who do they play? I don't even know. Find Sports talk with Dave, Mike, and Ian. <laughs> Who do they play in round one? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, speaking of round two. That's a great segue. I'm a professional. <laughs> Where we left off on part one, Charles Manson was paroled from prison in 1967. At that point, he was 32 years old, and he had spent more than half of his life in prisons and other institutions. One quick note before we move forward. He was paroled in 1967. The Tate and LaBianca murders happened in 1969. So the rest of this series, we're focusing on a two-year period. This is really quick that all of this happens. After his release from prison, Charlie was supposed to stay in Los Angeles, California as part of his parole. In true Charles Manson fashion, almost immediately, he hitchhiked out of L.A. to Berkeley, California. During his time in jail, Charlie had heard about the hippie movement and Haight-Ashbury and thought, fuck, I got to check this out. 
he could take his guitar there, maybe expand on his music and see what he had been missing. Because in prison, his last stint, that last seven years, he focused everything on playing music and his guitar. So he's ready to uh, expose his talents to the world. The the world is his oyster. He's going to do a music. Things are looking (laughs) great for him. He's got his whole life ahead of him. Spent so much time in prison. Terrible criminal. Terrible. He is terrible. Maybe one of the worst we've ever discussed. We've had some bad ones. He's not a criminal mastermind. No. Him and Charles Ng would be like the tag team of terrible criminals. (laughs) I feel bad laughing at like Charles Ng as like a comedic personality. (laughs) Because of the shit he was a part of. But yeah, he he was no good. Charlie called his P.O., and was fully expecting to be told like, hey, you just violated your fucking parole. Now you have a warrant out for your arrest. You weren't supposed to leave Los Angeles. But instead, Charlie said that the PO was really cool about everything and gave him permission to go to Haight-Ashbury right in the time for Summer of Love. Teaser for part four. What's the three-part series again? Yeah, it turned into a four-part. Motherfucker. <laughs> the first one of the year. <laughs> Strong start out of the gates. <laughs> Can't do deep and intensive research and limit the the amount of episodes available. I'll say I'm fascinated by this story. It's more than I and you were not excited to do this one. No, but now I'm like really into this. I'm really into the whole like '60s thing. Everything going on there. I really didn't care about that so much. But now, you know, after your episodes about Robert Kennedy and doing all the research for this, I'm like. Yeah, this is a really interesting time in, in history. Oh, most definitely. Do you, did you guys see, or Dave, did you watch, I forget the name of it. I think it was only one season and it got canceled. Uh, David Duchovny's show after Californication, he did a show on Fox. He was a detective that was kind of going after the Manson family. Like Aquarius or something? Yes, is that, that was it. Called? Like no, Aquarius or I something. I didn't watch that. I watched the season. It was okay. Mm. And then it just, I think it got canceled. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even worth watching because you didn't really get into much mm-hmm. that I remember. But I just remember I was on a big Duchovny kick because of California. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I'll watch that. Yeah, I never watched that. Nah. So Charlie thought that, you know, he got this awesome PO that was said, hey, go party it up in Haight-Ashbury. But when he called that number, he ended up being transferred to criminology doctoral researcher Roger Smith. Roger Smith worked at the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic and that facility had been receiving funds from the CIA to study the effects of LSD and Haight-Ashbury under MKUltra. Patients of the clinic became subjects to this research, and that included Charlie and most of his followers. MKUltra, I've never heard of that. What's that? <laughs> he's, ser- he's being serious. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, for real. He don't fucking remember. <laughs> so well, how does that call forwarding work? That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that was by chance or... Did he, did he make it up? Did he call the wrong number? He might have. Mm. I mean, as we know with Charles Manson up until this point, he doesn't really have a plan for anything. This goes with the flow. Yeah, so he might have just... Or was his name flagged? Like maybe when he spoke to his PO and said, I'm leaving to go here, his PO was like, okay, go. Put his name in like, hey, this guy's going to, what is it, Hate ashbury Mm-hmm. If we, if, you know, if you need to use someone, yeah, he's a, a bomb. Subject, he's on his way up. Yeah. And then, so when the, he calls back, his name's flagged and they get him in the system. I don't, I don't. And Haight-Ashbury would be the place for the CIA to do that, or at least to set up one, one of their main places. I mean, that's the hippie movement starts right there at that corner and everyone's fucking hammered. So, yeah. yeah. 
you know, as far as music is concerned, Janis Joplin and, and everyone's on acid already. So it's easy yeah. to slip your, uh, MK ultra stuff in there. Yep. Oh, I didn't think you were going to say that, but okay. Easy <laughs> to slip your- <laughs> Never mind. Free love. Uh, but that's a teaser for part four. Right now we're going to, we're just sticking to the timeline of what we know on the surface. Okay. And that's Charlie thought that he got a real cool PO while in Berkeley. Charlie met his first follower, Mary Bruner, a.k.a. Marioch, Och, Mother Mary, Mary Manson, Linda D. Manson, and Christine Marie Utes. <laughs> they all have a million fucking nicknames. It's ridiculous. Mary Bruner was born on December 17th, 1943 in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. She moved to California after graduating from the University of Wisconsin, Madison in 1965 and got a job as a library assistant at the University of California, Berkeley. Mary met Charlie while he was hanging out in Berkeley before he headed to Haight-Ashbury. Mary was immediately drawn in by Charlie's charm, and she allowed him to move into her apartment for a couple weeks. The way Charlie tells it is that he tried to hook up with Mary right off the bat, but she shut him down. So she was drawn into him, his charisma, but just as friends. After about two or three weeks through smoking a bunch of weed and doing LSD, Charlie and Mary had sex, uh, which he's very descriptive about this in his book. This goes on for like three or four pages. (laughs) Very descriptive of their first time having sex. Fashions himself a bit of a erotic novelist. He's very, um, I'm, I'm doing this for love. Like we're making love. We're not just fucking and hooking up. He's like, a traditionalist he see at least he sees himself <laughs> as a very loving person as far as that's concerned hmm. I and mean, we're going to talk about like 14 year olds later on where it's not really uh, when did he write this book how long after he had been in jail for at least 10 years 10 i years think later. at that point okay. yeah. bored trying to entertain himself yeah different perspective on hmm. the events in question Maybe we'll read it one day on a Patreon for an erotica episode. <laughs> well, you, you watch interviews with him. You know, he's got the swastika on his fucking forehead and he's acting crazy and stuff. The guy who helped him write this book, he said that when he would sit down with, with Charles Manson that, um, you know, they would have these conversations. But he said that as soon as he brought a woman with him on the very on the certain occasions that he brought a woman with him, Charlie just like a switch. Hmm. He completely changed he had this woman, you know, laughing at his jokes and shit and just very charming. Charismatic young mm-hmm. man. Charismatic short man also. He's, when you're that short, man, you got to excel in other areas, right? Well, that's why you drive a big Dodge pickup truck, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a Hemi with, you know, jacked up tires and bulls balls on the back by yeah. the hitch. Jesus Christ. Sure. <laughs> These colors don't run sticker on the back of the uh, window. Blasting some Jason Aldean out the uh, <laughs> the speaker box, some some like that. Smells oh. like America in here, Mac. <laughs> with a with a three and a halo in the bottom of the window. You just try, you're describing Country Mike. <laughs> we haven't seen that guy in a while. I think he died. <laughs> Did he? A hunting accident. Yeah. <laughs> After they fell in love, falling in love is that's Charlie's words. Mary quit her job, and the two of them started to drift around California in a van. Charlie playing his music and luring in more young women. Before we get into what Charlie says was a turning point at a house called the Spiral Staircase, we need to introduce four other women. Lynette Fromm, a.k.a. Squeaky, Patricia Krenwinkel, a.k.a. Big Patty, 
Ruth Ann Morehouse, a.k.a. Weesh, and Susan Atkins, a.k.a. Sadie Mae Glutz. But just Sadie. Sadie. Mm-hmm. Got it. Fucking nicknames in this whole episode. It's obnoxious. Yeah, so Big Patty came from Charlie, I believe. Squeaky came from George Spahn, which we'll talk about George later on. Lynette Fromm was born on October 22nd, 1948 in Santa Monica, California. As a kid, Squeaky performed with a dance group called the Westchester Lariats, which started touring the United States and Europe in the late 1950s. When that ended in 63, her family moved to Redondo Beach and Squeaky started drinking and using drugs. Her grades dropped at Redondo Union High School, but she did end up graduating in 1966. She moved out of her parents' house for a few months before her father talked her into enrolling at El Camino College. She moved home, but that didn't last long. After two months, her father kicked her out of the house after an argument, which left Squeaky homeless. So at that point, she hitchhiked her way to Venice Beach, where she was really down and out. As she was sitting on the curb one day in 1967, really depressed, a van pulled up and outstepped Charles Manson. Charlie looked at her and said, quote, your parents threw you out, didn't they? Squeaky immediately was like, fuck, this guy's a psychic. <laughs> oh, Day believes in psychics. My favorite, especially Sylvia Brown. <laughs> yeah. He celebrates her birthday every year. <laughs> Charlie didn't say anything else. He just turned and walked back into the van and she picked up her belongings and Got right in the van with them. She went on to uh, later attempt to assassinate President Ford, right, Mike? Squeaky from. I, I've never heard of this person before. Is that true? It is true. Huh? Yeah. She didn't, uh, yeah, spoiler, but she didn't kill anyone in this. She was Charles Manson's most devoted follower. She believed him 100%. Yeah. It still uh, does, I believe. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, but she did, she wasn't involved in any of the murders we'll talk about next week. But yeah, she did go on. Attempt that assassination, got what life did, in prison what for What did it. she try to do? Like, shoot him or stab him? Or shoot. She didn't hit him. Mm-mm. No. She came pretty fucking close, though. She got shots off, though. Yeah. yeah. I just mean, like, I know the presence had been hit with bullets. I, yeah. I'd never... Mm-mm. I didn't... He's never been hit. And I had never heard of Squeaky before, but... Yeah. No? Yeah. Interesting. So, think about this story, and when you think about kicking your kid out of the house for arguing with you, there's Charlie Manson's out there waiting to pick her up. Might try to shoot the president one day. That's right. Next up, uh, Patricia Krenwinkel was born on December 3rd, 1947 in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Patty was bullied pretty hard in school for being overweight and having a lot of body hair at an early age. She suffered from a disorder that caused her just to grow a lot of hair, something she couldn't, you know, obviously couldn't control. From my understanding, the nickname Big Patty was like a take back that bullying and make it into something positive. Because she was not overweight as an adult. So at 17, Patty's parents divorced and she stayed in L.A. with her father. For a while, she thought of becoming a nun. So she enrolled at the Jesuit College, Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama. After one semester, she dropped out and moved back to California where she moved in with her half-sister in Manhattan Beach. While hanging out on the beach one day, Patty met Charlie, Mary, and Squeaky. Patty was immediately drawn in by uh, Charlie's charisma, and the two of them had sex that night. Mm, any idea how hairy that beaver was? <laughs> I, I'm wondering. Asking sure. for a mutual friend. I was curious. Our mutual friend you're asking for. <laughs> he was curious. <laughs> <laughs> 
the next day, Patty left behind everything, including her last paycheck. Like she just said, fuck it. I don't care about my paycheck. Anything that's going on in my life. I'm just kind of over everything. And she hopped in the van with Charlie. This and, guy's got game, man. Yeah. I watched a documentary last night um, called Mance and the Untold Story. It was on YouTube. It's like a two hour documentary, but it focuses a lot on the music. There's a lot of video in that documentary that I'd never seen before of okay. him. Just him talking and smiling. You can see it when he doesn't have a swastika tattooed on his fucking forehead and, you know, this huge beard and the long hair and he's all mm. dirty and stuff. And yeah. It's like the skull. It doesn't he almost have like a skull at one <laughs> at point. One, like, yeah. yeah. You can see it for sure. Yeah. Next Ruth Ann Morehouse. She was born on January 6th, 1951 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and was the fourth youngest child to Protestant minister Dean Allen Morehouse. Dean was born in North Dakota and moved to Canada, but then relocated to California after Ruth Ann was born. In 1967, Dean Morehouse picked up a hitchhiker who ended up being Charles Manson. Dean, being a good preacher, invited Charlie back to his house for dinner and let Charlie spend the night. The two of them talked about the Bible, sang songs, and played a piano that Dean had. Charlie was so into the piano that Dean just gave it to him. It's like, here, have this piano. That's a nice guy. As with a lot of the story, the timeline is murky, but Charlie would visit Dean off and on. And pretty quick after being given that piano, Charlie traded it in for a Volkswagen microbus that was painted all black. On one of these trips back to Dean's after Charlie traded the piano for the bus, he started to show an interest in Ruth Ann, who was only 15 years old at that time. Ruth Ann hopped in the bus and went off with Charlie which resulted in Dean reporting her as a runaway. They were caught on July 28, 1967, and Charlie was arrested, but he was quickly released without issue. Maybe something to do with the MK Ultra stuff, but uh, he did not get in any trouble for this. But Quite an accusation. He's gotten in trouble for everything else in his life, except for this time. And he, was he, he was still on parole. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, he had... He raped this girl. I mean, it is what it is. You know, he talks about it in his book. Like it was this making love thing. Mm. You know, she's in the book. She said, he says, she says, uh, what about my daddy? He said, I'm your daddy now. Ugh. Yeah. Cringe. Not great. What Gross. was the age of consent back then? Though? I mean, there's a, well, there used to be a lot of wacky age of consent laws in this country. I think it's still true. like 11 in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> But did you know, like I was reading about this one time, like back in the 1800s and stuff, like the age of consent was like seven, something like really weird stuff. It's like evolved over the past 150 years. Doesn't sound like the greatest time to live in. <laughs> seven? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, that was like middle age back then. Right? <laughs> right. It's true. You only lived till you were like 24 years old. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's a weird thing. When he talks about her in the book or in his book, he uh, he points out that the media ran with this idea that he was the most evil man in America and he was going to take your kids. He could take your kids from your house and and manipulate them. He said that Ruth Ann was the only person he took. He would admit to taking her because she was underage and he coaxed. He pushed for her to leave mm. her situation. But everyone else that he was accused of taking, they were already gone. Mm. They were already thrown away by society. Take it's that for what you outlook, will. yeah, or the perspective. This story is so all, all over the place. Um, so trying to stick in chronological order, we'll get into the rest of Ruth Ann's story in a little bit. 
Um, but the last one for now is Susan Atkins, a.k.a. Sadie. Sadie was born on May 7th, 1948 in San Gabriel, California. Sadie's life was turned upside down when her mother died of cancer in 1964. They went from being a typical middle-class family to her father Edward turning to alcohol and not being there for Sadie and her two brothers. When Edward found work on the San Luis Dam project, he just left the kids behind to care for themselves. Sadie got a job her junior year in high school to support herself and her younger brother, Stephen, because at that point, her oldest brother had left as well. Not surprisingly, her grades in high school went downhill, and Sadie and Stephen were eventually taken in by other relatives. In December of 1966, Sadie made her way to San Francisco, and a couple months later, she met Charles Manson. Sadie was crashing at some random house in Haight-Ashbury, and Charlie ended up being there playing music. That house got raided by the police eventually, which left Sadie either moving back with a relative if possible or being homeless. At that point, Charlie asked Sadie if she wanted to join him and his family on their summer road trip in his black Volkswagen bus. And she hopped right in. Because why would you go back, right? If you were her at that moment? What do you have to go back to? Nothing. Yeah. Potentially nothing. Get this fun uh, little, little guy. Plays a mean guitar. And he's got four women or three women with him already. Three gir- three women and a guy hanging out. So, like, it must be all right. Doing acid. So, the three girls weed. are fine, yeah. We just get high all day. Listen to him play music. Could That's be all worse. he does. This is all focused on Charles Manson's music. Hmm. Could be worse. So, the foundation of the Manson family had been started. Charlie, Mary, Squeaky, Big Patty, and Sadie. They're all in the Volkswagen bus. And 15-year-old Ruthann is at home wanting to run away back to be with Charlie. Also at this time, Mary is five months pregnant with Charlie's second son, Valentine Michael, a.k.a. Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear. So how did they fund this uh, vagabond lifestyle of theirs? Well, to eat, they they figured out a lot of dumpster, getting food out of dumpsters. (laughs) Like when places would really, you know said to buy today well it's two days later and it's not that bad Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff uh selling some weed when they could some acid when they could uh charlie a couple times said that he met up with people that he had known from prison previously like had numbers that he took with him was like hey when you get on the outside you know call me up Uh call up some of those people find them okay shit like that all kinds of different stuff nothing is consistent here nothing is uh there's no concrete plans really happening. This is a every day is where the day takes us. Yep. As of right now, that's what Charlie Manson is promoting to people. He's he's doing this guru thing mm. at this point. Take it a day at a time. This is all love. All material items gone. We don't need them. Just kind of coast. I've seen worse things. Let's see what happens. I'm not, I have no idea what happens. Doesn't sound like a life for me, <laughs> but. You know, oh, it's not for me, no. Some no. people might enjoy that. <laughs> that documentary I was talking about earlier that focused a lot on the music, uh, focused a lot on Hey Ashbury. That is not for me. <laughs> if I lived back then, I would be like just sitting in my basement smoking weed. <laughs> would not be doing all that. Listening to your Rolling Stones album or something like that. Through their travels, playing music and shit, Charlie met a woman who he said was around 45 years old and that he would just kind of run into her throughout their they're hitchhiking and driving around California and he would bullshit with this lady. 
he said that she would experiment with any drug available and she was into devil worship. He said that devil worshiping wasn't something that he was into, but he liked talking to this lady about different beliefs. This woman gave Charlie a standing invite to a house she stayed at on Topanga Canyon Boulevard that would become known as the Spiral Staircase. And that was for this this huge spiral staircase going up the middle of the house. That makes sense. (laughs) One day, Charlie and his family were looking for a place to park their bus just to take a break and rest for a while. When he remembered that he had this invite from that lady and about the spiral staircase, Charlie wrote, quote, The day we first drove up, we were innocent children in comparison to some of those we saw during our visits there. In looking back, I think I can honestly say our philosophy, fun and games, love and sex, peaceful friendship for everyone began changing in the madness that eventually engulfed us in that house. The way he described it was that you didn't necessarily need a standing invite, but you would get the you would get the vibe if you weren't welcome there. So it was open for everyone, but you'd kind of be stared down. Yeah. And it's just full of random people. You don't know where anybody's coming from. Who owns the house? Who knows? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, mm. it's a free for all. And he said that there were so many cults that would come through there, which that makes sense. We talked about children of God mm. is a little later than this, but this whole era was a boom of cults in California. So he said like, gurus would come through there all the time different ones and everybody had their different beliefs and he would just listen to everybody talk and everybody's doing acid smoking weed banging it you know everybody's fucking everywhere sounds like a tom brady super bowl after party (laughs) (laughs) can't wait for my invite shirts in the mail well when they win let's not get premature here (laughs) on jinx it boy 60s must have been a lot of fun huh some of it. In some ways. <laughs> yeah, some of it. The, the cleanliness is the issue. Ugh. Nobody's showering. Lack, lack of. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, no one's taking showers no. here. No. If I go 12 hours without a shower, I feel disgusting. I just can't. It's not for me. Or right, we're going to talk about Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys in a little bit here, paying a, a hefty bill to get everybody cured from chlamydia. So. Oh, my this is not like <laughs> it's good in theory but then when you really think mm-hmm. about it or when charlie mary patty sadie and squeaky walked in they were handed some lsd to which they sat down in a circle and took it charlie said that uh this was some of the most potent lsd he had ever had and it resulted in not just an intense trip but full-blown visions like a like a religious experience or something where you know someone would feel that the It's an awakening and it's probably best to just quote Charlie here, how he describes this moment. To illustrate what I mean, I'll backtrack to the days when I was at the Gibalt school for boys. One stormy night, a day or so after I had a visit from my mother, I was going through one of the loneliest periods of my life. Lying there in bed, my sorrow and self-pity was so strong, I couldn't help but cry. To keep the boys who slept on either side of me from hearing, I got up and moved to a window some distance from the nearest bed. I looked out the window into a dark, rainy night. I stood there for a while crying, wishing for a life different from the one I was living. The more I thought and wished, the more I cried. Finally, I knelt and prayed to God with the strongest emotion possible for a boy of 12. 
My prey may have seemed selfish because every word was for myself, not for riches and other things that a kid might pray for. I asked that someone love me enough to need me. My prayer finished. I stayed at the window, watching the rain beat against the glass and wondering if there was really a God up there, and if so, whether he heard me. Thunder sounded and a flash of lightning brightened the sky. I pressed my face closer to the window just as another flash lit the sky. And on the other side of the glass, I saw a vision of Jesus. He said no words, just gave me a slight smile and an encouraging nod of his head. I went back to bed with a secret and my face dry of tears. By morning, I was not sure if my vision was just a dream or if I had really stood at the window. Perhaps it was just the strong imagination of a boy who wanted things to be different. Not wishing to be looked on as a nut or laughed at as a fool, I have seldom mentioned that night, but for the longest time, I knew something good was going to happen for me. When weeks, months, and years went by with nothing improving in my life and no love, I ceased to think of that night at all. The vision came back to me at the spiral staircase. I had often taken the acid route and was familiar with the valued awakening of senses that allows a view of a world that begins where this one ends. I had in the past felt vibrations of cosmic force and revealed in psychic phenomenon. Yet the trip I was about to undergo would give me the deepest penetration into awareness, extrasensory perception, confrontations with devils, travels and divinity and association with multiple deities I had ever encountered. I was a boy at the same window. I was no longer kneeling, but standing next to a man in a long white robe. His was not the face of Jesus in my vision, but the atmosphere seemed holy. Our feet touched nothing but air. His hand was on my shoulder and he did not speak, but deep amplified echoes voiced a message as though out of the skies. Now, Charles, these are your loves and you are their need. The message rang in my ears and the words vibrated through every pore of my skin, giving my body an awareness of what was registering in my mind. Still suspended in the air, I looked over a sea of faces, faces full of love and trust, faces looking at me. The words faded and the robe man drifted away. And as he did, I was no longer a boy, but a man and myself in a white robe. A lot going on there. Some strong LSDs. <laughs> Some strong asses. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was just wearing a towel, too. He wasn't wearing a white robe. He was just wearing some old-ass towel that he found. <laughs> Dirty towel from under the spiral staircase. <laughs> yes. They've been using to wipe their asses for six weeks. <laughs> a cum rag from the gangbang room. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> a PMS rag. It wasn't really white. It's tie-dye at that point. <laughs> Red, yellow, and brown <laughs> USA <laughs> USA USA while he's having this crazy experience he said that like he could read people's minds like and talk to them telepathically like he wanted mm. a glass of water or something he like nodded at Sadie <laughs> and she brought him water oh, I'd love to be able to do that and then he said that because Mary is five months pregnant at this point um so he said that he could he put his hands on her stomach and he could see through her like when he put his oh. hands he could see through and he could see the baby and that he could tell that the baby was a boy this guy's awesome i think so- it's just re- some really strong acid <laughs> <laughs> was mary taking acid too while she was pregnant you know what i don't know for mm. sure i i think she probably wasn't st- 
sticking to uh, a all good the prenatal roles. plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you getting checkups every week, Dave? <laughs> Charlie gave birth to the baby too. He was like the doctor. Oh my god! I don't think do, I don't bring it up later in the outline, do I? Like how Michael's so. okay. We'll just talk about it now. So they end up, you know, after after the spiral staircase and throughout all their travels here, they they stay in a cabin for a period of time. And it's not even really like a cabin. It almost sounds like a condemned house, like a mixture of the two kind of. No running water, electricity. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, she gives birth in that in that type of an environment. And Charlie sounds birth to the baby. Yeah. Cut the umbilical cord. Catch Some accounts say he bit it with towels. his teeth. Oh. He just like chewed it in oh. half. <laughs> Fucking caveman style. <laughs> Are these kids still alive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll have to talk about them at the end of this uh, 12 part series. Yeah. Right. In March, we'll talk about them. <laughs> was it Pooh Bear? Let's see how Pooh Bear's doing. Literally, name it the towel he was cleaned with. Pooh. Charlie said that this was one of the few times that he got so fucked up on LSD that he lost track of night and day or even how long they had been at the spiral staircase at that point. He said he saw it was nighttime. He's like, this could be two nights. This could be three. I don't know anymore. At one point, he went out to their bus to get cleaned up. Uh, He called it a horse bath. It was just like a bucket of water, soap, and a towel. Afterwards, he was drying off, and Sadie came onto the bus uh, with a guy that she was going to hook up with. Charlie said that he noticed Sadie's feet were all dirty, so he washed them for her in that pan of water. Then he noticed that this guy's feet were dirty too, so he washed his. Sadie took this as a religious experience, like Charlie was Jesus, and she said, quote, Charlie was dressed in a white robe, and I had so much love for him, I thought he was Jesus. I think all this stuff really happened. I, I don't think this is like cult stuff like... um I don't know. It's just like any cult leader, right? Where they make up things like these Mm. extravagant things. I think this really happened. Why would he make it up? I just think it's all very drug fueled. Like he wasn't wearing the the right robe. He was definitely wearing a dirty towel. The drug made it seem more majestic than it was. Yeah. you had this dirty, you know, nasty looking man and just a towel rubbing your feet. And you're looking (laughs) at it as this awesome experience. Right. And he's fucking, you know, and there's just malnourished and dirty and drugged out of his mind. And then there's just some random dude that was just trying to hook up with Sadie. Yeah. Right. And now he's getting his, his feet, feet washed wow. by Charles Manson. And he should have washed his fever, not her feet. He's <laughs> going to have some sex on a dirty bus or whatever. Wash the beaver. It would have been the nice thing to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever lost a job, had a bad breakup, or simply just felt stuck in life? Ever wish life came with a user manual, much like our cars or appliances do? Wouldn't that be great? Lost your job? Turn to page 63. Just got dumped? Turn to page 32. Feeling depressed? That'll be on page 104. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. However, BetterHelp Online Therapy is basically the next best thing. So the next time you're feeling stuck... Why not check them out? BetterHelp therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, secure, 
and accessible anywhere, all done online. Therapy can have many benefits, be it learning new coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma, or even having a clearer mind. Look, everyone deserves to feel their best, and BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. They're the world's largest therapy service and offer all the benefits of in-person therapy, but are more convenient, accessible, and more affordable. After filling out a brief questionnaire, you'll be matched with a therapist, and from there, if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist whenever you'd like. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. So get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. After this, the group quickly grew to between 12 and 20 people, and the bus really wasn't working out. And it's oh, the a- micro bus didn't fit 20 people? <laughs> That's the thing about his group, the Manson family, is there's these, there's these core members, but it fluctuates. You know, some I think as high as 35 people, you know, all together. Everywhere. Drifting people, in and out? Yeah, people kind of drift in and out. Sometimes, you know, somebody would join, you know, quote unquote, join for a week and then they'd pop back up a month later, stuff like that. There's no consistency here, okay. really. Besides the core people that we've talked about so far, and there's some others that we'll bring up later. So one week the bus might work, the next week maybe it doesn't. Yep. And they needed some, or he was looking for some consistency or at least thinking about it, like we need to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And this brings in Sandra Good. Sandra Good was born February 20th, 1944 in San Diego, California. She was the daughter of an aeronautical engineer, and she was different than the typical Manson family member. She was from a wealthy family. Her parents didn't like kick her out or anything like that. She was just seeing what Haight-Ashbury was like and that whole hippie movement was like. Sandra wasn't there for the Tate and LaBianca murders, but she was an important part of the story because through a friend of hers, Charlie and the Manson family would be able to move into Spawn Ranch. We just did that long quote from Charles Manson, and I don't like to like fill up an outline with a bunch of quotes, but this one, this next one stood out to me because he talks about, you know, getting Sandra into the, into the family. And I think it's a, it's a good, it's a interesting admission from a cult leader or someone like him on how they preyed on somebody. Mm. Okay. The night she visited us, I remember her as being more than a little stuck on herself. She was dressed in slacks and a blue that came out of the most recent fashion magazine and her earrings and jewelry went with the makeup on her face. She was a beauty more suited to some plush restaurant than the floor of a shack we occupied. The surroundings weren't the most comfortable for her. Without her knowing, I spent a great deal of the night watching her and observing her reaction to what went on. The rest of the girls were in jeans, bodysuits, or loose-fitting blouses, no makeup, and only a ring or two of jewelry. As I played the guitar and sang, I watched her attempt to remove her earrings and makeup without attracting attention. She looked at the other girls to see how they wore their hair and inconspicuously ran her hands through her own hair so that it would fall naturally like the rest of the girls. I thought to myself, she may be stuck on herself, but she isn't above wanting to be like those she is with. We whiled away the hours playing music and smoking dope, and others would occasionally leave the room to go to the bathroom. Sandy did not move. But as more time passed, I watched with amusement as she squirmed, held her breath, and did everything else that might relieve her bladder stress. 
Finally, I handed my guitar to Bruce and let him play while I took Sandy by the hand and walked her to the bathroom. Hey, honey, I told her, it's flattering you like my music, but no one should sit it out so long as to wet their pants. I got one of the most relieved and grateful looks I've ever seen. When she came out of the bathroom, we didn't return to the room where the music was being played, but went for a walk. The walk resulted in some conversation, a lot of sex, and our getting to know each other. Sandy dropped out of all of her social circles and became one of us, one of the strongest. And though through an acquaintance of hers staying at the Spawn Ranch, we found an open door that eventually allowed us to locate there. just thought that was interesting how he just watched her the whole time, the whole he night. Stalked her the whole night. Yeah. Like his music's so good, she won't even get up to go to the bathroom. She'd rather pee her pants. But I, I think hmm. he, I think he didn't even know. I think he didn't even think that. That was just a, a charming thing to say. The way I took this whole thing was that he knew that he want he at least wanted her from the minute he saw her. So he just watched her the whole night. He was infatuated and, and with her. Figured her out and charmed her to get her to, you know, and it worked, right? And realized, Join her family. Unlike Mike Namapod, she holds in her urine. <laughs> Does not go over 12 minutes. Like, Some might say that's a noble quality, as you two might. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you were at Brooks and Dunn and they were playing your favorite song and you had to pee real bad, would you hold it or get up and go? No, I would hold it. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> you ever going to get go back to one of those greatest shows of all time? <laughs> or to fucking pee in a bottle? You, know, you just stand there and piss. That's allowed. That's allowed at some concerts. Dave. Is it? Yeah. At those types of concerts? Most concerts. Okay. I just pee wherever I want. I'm standing. <laughs> So at the end of that quote, he brought up Spawn Ranch, which we'll get to Spawn Ranch in a bit. But first, we got to talk about the Beach Boys. Off the Florida There's a place called Kokomo That's where you wanna go To get away from it all Bodies in the sand Tropical drink melting in your hand We'll be falling in love To the rhythm of a steel drum band Down in Kokomo And then we'll take it slow That's where we wanna go Way down in Kokomo Artinique, that Monterey Mystique We'll go out to sea And perfect our chemistry By and by we'll defy A little bit of gravity That dreamy look in your eye Under a tropical island sky Way down in Kokomo Jamaica, 
And then we'll take it slow That's where we wanna go Way down in Coco Well, we're not going to top that. We might as well just end the series now, right? <laughs> Let's move on to the next subject. That's it. That's that's as good as it gets. It's good music video on YouTube. <laughs> just go watch it. <laughs> it was the Muppets, right? Mm-hmm. Kermit. Miss Piggy's in there. Everybody's in that video. It's an all-star cast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, So there's two versions of how Dennis Wilson, the drummer of the Beach Boys, and Brian Wilson's brother met Charles Manson and got involved in all this shit. Mainly Dennis. This is all Dennis. According to Dennis, towards the end of spring 1968, he saw Big Patty and another Manson family member, Ella Jo Bailey, hitchhiking while they were all fucked up on LSD. Dennis took them back to his house, and after a while, he went to a nighttime recording session, leaving Patty and Ella at his house. When Dennis got home in the morning, Charlie came walking out to greet him. And at first, Dennis thought Charlie was going to hurt him. Like, what the fuck? This guy's this <laughs> random guy's walking out of my house. But Charlie told him it was all love, started kissing Dennis's feet. It's not weird. <laughs> and Dennis walked inside with Charlie and was greeted by mostly the rest of the Manson family. Can you imagine... Does Charlie have a foot fetish? He's washing feet. He's kissing feet. Or is it just like his sign of like humbling himself? Like I'm no better than you. I mean, he might. Hold on, I'm going to tell you this fucking story from his book. Wait a minute here. <laughs> now we got into something. Let's go. So Dennis, uh, you know, through this music shit that we're going to get into, according to Charlie, there is no proof of it. There's proof of the music stuff, but there's no proof of this shit. But he says that he got in with Universal, like like movie making stuff. And he was I actually Casey Anthony worked for Disney. <laughs> she he was helping out on a movie about Jesus, but he met an actor. Wouldn't give the guy's name in his book because he said anybody who's public, he'll give their names. But if someone hasn't been named in the media is being involved with him, he wasn't going to out him. Hmm. So he's it was a swell a, guy. Yeah, That's nice. So an unnamed male actor married to a unnamed female actress from a TV series. He said everybody would be shocked if they knew who these people were. But how many male actors were married to famous TV actresses at the time? Yeah, I don't know. Like you can probably limit that down to almost one hand. I, I have no mm. idea. So according to Charlie, he was paid to cuck that guy, like bang that guy's wife I'm listening. It's another thing that goes on for like two (laughs) or three pages. It's absurd. So he said the guy's like jerking off in the corner. So the guy was literally a cock. Like he wanted that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was getting off on it. Right. And then he started to like climb over top Charles Manson. And Charles Manson's like, look, I haven't been fucked since prison. I'm not really about (laughs) it right now. And that's his word. That's like what he says in the book. Um, But then he said that the guy started sucking on his wife's toes while Charles Manson was fucking her. His own mm. wife's toes. While yeah. Charles was... Okay. So maybe he does have a foot fetish because But that very was specific. the guy doing it, not Manson. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that story maybe didn't happen. But... <laughs> I don't know. But it could. Could have, yeah. Anything's possible. That's one of the more 
believable stories I think we've heard of some of this shit, but there is a lot of feet play in this. He seems to have like a foot thing. He was but given again, $500 according to him too. That's from this cock money, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> 51968. Are money? they paying trans? Are they paying hotel food? I mean, you got to get into all that too. Sometimes you pay your own way depending upon the, you know, what you're doing. I'm not opposed to a beta <laughs> cuck sucking his own wife's toes while I'm banging her out. Why would you be? Don't get in my way. Like, I don't care. It's your experience. You make the most of it. What if he starts sucking on your toes? That's never happened. Don't think I would love it. Okay. But you never know until you try, right? 100%. <laughs> also, Casey worked at Universal, not Disney. Oh, okay. Sorry. So she was a workmate of... Uh, See, work they were co-workers. co-workers. <laughs> All right, sorry. We did that show like three years ago. Apologies. It's funnier if it's Disney and she's walking around with like the Mickey ears on. Like, yeah, I work here. In my mind, that's how I remember that story going. She's like, yeah, I wear the Daisy Duck outfit out there. I don't have to look up some of those couples from back then and see. See if I can. Yeah, figure you get it to out. the bottom of it. I'm going to get my best guess. Just look at your old VHS tapes you used to record yeah, that's when, you, right. were, when yeah. you were at school yeah. during the day and those shows were on. You were like 10th grade by then. <laughs> I think he said that the the husband was more well-known than the wife was. But she was on a major TV show. Yes. All right. There was probably a lot of daytime TV on, though, too, though. That's a lot of TV shows. There were like big soap operas on at that time, I think. Yeah. Does that count? Maybe. A, a TV show, right? Why would it not? Mm-hmm. So that's how Dennis says it went down. Um, according to Charlie, he was out trying to buy some weed in San Francisco and ended up being led to a house that was selling. Turns out Dennis Wilson was also buying weed at that house. Dennis and Charlie started talking about music and stuff. And at the end of their conversation, Dennis gave Charlie his address and told him to stop by sometime. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle in that story. Yeah, probably. Because regardless of how they met, Charlie and Dennis became really good friends. They, uh, and the Manson family pretty much moved into Dennis's house. Dennis and Charlie would play music and party it up. Weed, LSD. They were treating members of the Manson family, the female members like straight up servants. And they would, you know, wait on Charlie and Dennis hand and foot. And well, that's not good. No. Are the beach boys canceled now? (laughs) Dave stays like they should have been when that first album came out. (laughs) Dave doesn't like beach music though. In general, like you're not a Jimmy no. Buffett guy. You're not no. a Beach Boys oh, guy. God, it's horrible. It's not horrible. It's just not your thing. The Beach Boys, maybe. I like some Jimmy Buffett. Like, it's just <sighs> you sit on a beach, you drink some booze, you get drunk, you have a good time and you party. Like, you're not going to listen to Slayer on a beach. You're not going to listen to Kiss. I'm a Kiss fan. You're not going to listen to Kiss on a beach. Like, can't you listen to hip hop on the beach instead of Jimmy Buffett? Like, why does that make know. it better? Is that Does that set the tone? Yeah, I'm not sure it does. My, yeah. my point. So, I mean, that's you're just not the beach music type guy. No beach music. No beach music. But Jimmy Buffett did not hang out with any cult leaders slash killers that you know of that we know of. That's true. We don't know for sure. His listeners are like their own cult, though. They really are. <laughs> I've been to I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert once. It was insane. It really they like, love it. They have so much fun. It is insane. Like I've, I saw them literally like somebody bought a beer and they just passed the beer around. Everyone drinking from it. Like 
You didn't know these people drinking just out of the same cup of beer. Like it was as close as I would ever get to like this free love movement. Cause like, <laughs> I'm not doing anything else. I'm not even taking a sip of that beer, but I'll watch you do it. And I'm like, keep on going. It was a very fun time. It was like, it was just like, when was this? I went in like 2008, 2009. So I was, I was t- early 20s. Yeah. It felt like you were at a party with your all your parents and 20,000 of their friends. That's what it felt like. Like I was the youngest one there. Well, it sounds you know, all right. And it was, but it was a good time. It was fun. And I would say that, again, I'm not a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. I think he's better than the Beach Boys. Like I can listen to more Jimmy Buffett than I can the Beach Boys. If Kermit's singing the Beach Boys, all right, I'm in. <laughs> As Ian is too. He was very excited to yeah. play that clip. I understand what the Beach Boys did for music. I understand that they were the first of that West Coast surf rock to bring start a West Coast. East Coast, West Coast war of the surf music. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I acknowledge their place in music. history. I just don't like it. It's not for me. Like there wasn't anything like the Beach Boys until the Beach Boys. happened. Yeah. Question for you, Ian. Did you know who the Beach Boys were before Full House? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Full House. That's <laughs> what introduced me to the Beach Boys. Muppets in Full House. Yeah, fuck yeah. I think that's one of the things I find so interesting about Dennis Wilson and Char and you know Charlie Manson being good friends and doing all this shit is because when I think of the Beach Boys, I think of Full House. I don't think of having a mansion full of people doing LSD and right. crazy shit. Dave went wants to go see Bob Saget stand up because he thought it was going to be fun, wholesome entertainment. And he walked out because he was so offended because of how, you know, volatile he was. Some other people did. <laughs> I know. I told half of a story. there. <laughs> Dennis paid for Charlie to record a demo of his songs. And through that friendship, Charlie was introduced to Greg Jacobson, who was a songwriter for the Beach Boys, Terry Melcher and Rudy Altabelli. Oh, out to your belly. <laughs> Terry Melcher, um, he's best known for producing the Birds' first two albums, Mr. Tambourine Man and Turn, 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 and most of the hit recordings of Paul Revere and the Raiders and Gentle Soul. He was like a dude considered to take the Beatles, m- mash it up with that West Coast Beach Boys sound and created something completely new. Okay, yeah. yeah. Terry Melcher, if if you could get in with him, you were golden. Dave hates the Beatles, too. Stop it. (laughs) Rolling Stones are quite overrated, but I do like the Beatles. Rudy Altabelli worked in the record industry, but he also owned a house that he rented to Terry Melcher. That's where Charles Manson met Terry Melcher at that house that Rudy owned and was renting to Terry. Then after Terry moved out, he rented that house to Sharon Tate and her husband, Roman Polanski. So that's an that's a important detail for later on. Yeah. So can we buy this house now? Cool Down Media now owns this house? <laughs> I think they tore it down. No, we'll Didn't rebuild they? it. We'll <laughs> Did they tear it down? We're gonna buy that land. We're gonna buy that land and we're gonna build that house. <laughs> exactly the way it was. Oh yeah. From the air, the air shots of that house, it looked fucking sweet. Oh, yeah. It's huge and a huge pole. The poles are like a quarter size of the house. It's like up in the Hollywood Hills. Is that where that's at? Yeah, very secluded. That's all right. Can we change the pool to a hot tub, though? I prefer a hot tub. Both. Half and half. Sure. All right. 
I don't need a pool. I just a quick dip and then give me the hot tub. It's a little warm out there. Sometimes. That's what you need one that you can just like transition over to. Yeah. Like you don't actually have to get out of anything. You just hop in and just swim over to the hot tub. I understand tub. that. I'm just yeah. saying I want the bigger part to be the hot tub. I feel like that's where I'm going to be partying. So I have my crystal hot tub part. It's like drowned after 20 minutes of being in that sun, being all fucked up. There's a very good chance it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be in the middle of the day. It's me at night times. It doesn't matter. I might die in there, but that's fine. That's a Hollywood story, right? Absolutely. This is Mike Nowapod's E True Hollywood Story. <laughs> He was doing fine. And he moved to Beverly Hills or Hollywood Hills. Got himself a hot tub. Decided he'd sit in that in a 105 degree day drinking Cristal. 20 minutes later, he was dead. Greg Jacobson said that people were sold on the whole Charlie Manson package. That's the whole package. That's not Charlie Manson, the recording artist, which we'll play one of his songs later on. Um, the whole Charlie Manson package is him squeaky mary the girls around him just his whole aura of who he was um the manson family right when you put charlie in a recording booth with none of that he was good he's a good musician but it wasn't the same Hmm. at least not to record producers and things they were sold on him in the manson family like the whole like this the whole package so at this point from someone who's learning this as we go, obviously. Hey, spoiler alert. <laughs> learning as we go. Did he want to be a famous musician? Did he want to have people worshiping him? I think this is all because of his musical career. He wanted to be a musician. Yeah. And I and think so he when, liked- we, when we get to part three and we talk about his rejection from the music industry, I think that is what caused all of this, in my okay. opinion. That would line up. Interesting. Though. All of these people tried to dial everything back after the Tate and LaBianca murders. Like, oh, we don't know who Charles Manson is. Yeah. Who? Oh, <laughs> seen that guy before? Never heard of her. <laughs> and at this point, we can bring Ruth Ann back into the story. On one of Charlie's last visits to Dean, Ruth Ann was crying and wanted to leave with Charlie. Remember, she's only 15 years old at, at that time. Um, so even after Dean reported her kidnapped and he got arrested, he was still going back and visiting? Or is that kind of wishy-washy on the it, timeline? It, it is. It's wishy-washy. I don't know. Hmm. You don't know for sure. Yeah. But Charlie told her to get married, to break away from her father. Like, get married to a guy, and then you don't have to answer to your dad anymore. Um, now you answer to your husband, because that's how we treat women <laughs> these days and age. But hey, free love. Woo! Fast forward to Dennis Wilson's house in spring of 1968. As soon as Ruth Ann turned 16, she married some random guy named Edward Lewis. And then the next day, she left him and went to find Charlie. <laughs> Jeez. Poor Ed Lewis. Hey, what happened to that guy? Yeah. Can we catch he's the probably spotlight like, on him? He's probably like, thank fucking God. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so now Ruth Ann is with Charlie in the Manson family at Dennis Wilson's house. Dean figured out where they were and showed up ready to fuck Charlie up. But when Dean got there... Charlie came out, knelt down, and started kissing Dean's feet. Again? <laughs> Motherfucker! Just just admit you have a foot fetish, and we'd all feel better about this. Quit making it awkward for everybody. Like kissing or tongue? Is there tongue involved? In oh, this? God. Is the tongue coming all the way out, Mike? <laughs> it's especially because nobody washed. Like, right. They're all unkept. <laughs> Dean's probably the cleanest one, right? He's just a preacher. 
It's true. I like to think he bathed before he showed up. Nadine probably had running water. But still. Although they're at Dennis's house now. They should be a little bit cleaner. You would think. I would think. Like, there's a mansion. But they're place, not. Right? Let's not pretend. Mansion. They're not fucking bathing. Why are we pretending like they're bathing? They're Why? not. Because they're on LSD and they're just <laughs> banging and he's playing guitar. The girl wouldn't even go piss. She's going to go shower? I don't think so. Can't stand to be away from him long enough to go shower. It's fucking gross, man. And now he's just putting his tongue up all in their toes. <laughs> I don't think he was tonguing <laughs> Dean's toes. Uh, we don't know. I was just asking the question. <laughs> we don't know what kind of kiss. Maybe it was a French kiss on the toes. <laughs> Charlie talked Dean into relaxing about wanting to beat his ass and got Dean to take some LSD with the group. Turns out Dean was a big fan of LSD and he spent the rest of the summer living in Dennis Wilson's <laughs> guest house in exchange for taking care of the landscaping. <laughs> Who's preaching to his congregation back home? They're going to go the way of the devil if he's not there to keep him on the right path, right? The story is so fucking <laughs> What's happening weird. here. <laughs> I'm going to go to this house. I'm going to fuck this guy up. 20 minutes later, he's sucking my toes. I'm doing LSD and now I'm the gardener. Of the and Detroit he's banging drummer. my fifteen-year-old in the corner. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Another thing regarding Ruth Ann and the involvement of all these powerful guys in music. Terry Melcher started an affair with Ruth Ann, which I mean, call it what it was. She, it's rape. She's only sixteen. It, regardless of what the age of consent is, no. nobody should have been having you know doing this to, with this girl. Yep. Um, he tried to hire Ruth Ann as a maid to have her closer to him, but Terry's longtime girlfriend shut that shit down <laughs> real quick. She's like, no, that's not happening. The next member of the Manson family to introduce, and this is a big one, is Charles Watson, a.k.a. Tex. Tex Watson was born on December 2nd, 1945 in Dallas, Texas, and grew up with that classic all-American life. He went to church, was an honor student, editor of the school newspaper, captain of the football team, and set records for hurdling at his high school. After high school, he went to the University of North Texas. And then in January of 1967, Tex got a job as a baggage handler at Braniff International. And through that job, he got tickets to travel sometimes. Tex used one of those tickets to visit his brother in L.A., and Tex was real into everything that was going on in California in the late 60s. It was kind of a culture shock for him. Oh, but. Uh, and Tex is where we get that stuff that I talked about last week where in the media it was portrayed as here's the devil. Charles Manson is the devil and he can take, take your kids. Look what he did to Tex Watson, all-American guy. And look what he turned him into. It's a good contrast. Well, it's a perfect way to play it up to make him seem evil, right? Yeah, right. You know, Tex was just trying to get paid, laid, and made. <laughs> so one day in late spring or summer, 1968, Tex was driving around and saw a guy hitchhiking and picked him up. Turns out this was Dennis Wilson. Dennis pretty much told Tex, hey, man, I'm the drummer of the Beach Boys. Thanks for the ride. There's a bunch of people partying at my house. Come hang out with us. And that's how Tex Watson was introduced to Charles Manson. It's amazing how the most random things like that can just put you on your ultimate life's path. And Tex is a huge part of this story. We're going to talk about part three. I mean, yeah. He is the biggest part of this as far as, you know, everything getting dark with murders and stuff are concerned. Wow. In that documentary that I was watching about the music part of this, Dennis Wilson blamed himself a lot for this stuff. Like this weighed on him for 
Yeah, he yeah. only lived till he was 39. I could see that. He died really early from, you know, all the drinking he did and stuff. He drowned, I think. I was actually reading about him today. Maybe he got really drunk, right? Yeah, he was drowning. fucked up and dove into the marina bay or, or something to look for his ex-wife's belongings that he had thrown off a yacht three years earlier. <laughs> Some kind of crazy-ass story. Wait, to look for his ex-wife's belongings? He- it sounded like he threw her shit off of a boat. Oh, I thought you were doing like some Scott before. Peterson shit over here. Mm. Like he was looking for stuff he threw. And he was just hammered and dove it, into the water. When he met Don't Charles Wilson. Don't do that, people. When he met Charles Manson, he was that marriage was ending. Mm. So he was kind of off the rails a bit. Like he always was kind of the wild beach boy from my understanding. And then the divorce he was kind of like all right i'm partying it up charles manson rolls in and it's yeah makes sense i think he died in like the late 70s something like that everybody close to him said that this weighed on him that he blamed himself a lot for for this stuff putting this group facilitating you know this group meshing yeah i i would feel bad i guess but who knows i guess so but also don't do a drunk swimming no that's not good I can barely do a sober swimming. I'm definitely not doing that. Hot tub. That's what I'm telling you. Hot yeah, tub. Yeah, yeah. You can literally sit and your your head's above water. So like we said earlier, everyone was sold on the Charlie Manson package. But when you got him into a studio, he didn't want to be produced. That was one thing that they said was wrong with him. He also got, he did get the opportunity to, to record in Brian Wilson's recording studio. So Dennis's brother. That's fucking huge at that. That's, you know, yeah, one of the biggest stars in the country. Yeah. And he got, so he got to sit down in that studio in Brian Wilson's personal studio with the Beach Boys recording engineer. Um, everybody liked his songs. Everybody really did like Charles Manson's music and they were really interested in him. He just would not be produced. He wouldn't listen to what they were saying. Mm. You know, you, you have to listen to a record producer okay. when you get to a certain level. Sure. Um, he didn't want to do that. He also pulled out a switchblade randomly <laughs> and shit in the Beach Boys. Uh, the engineer didn't love that. He's like, hey, man, you got to put that knife away. <laughs> All right. But, Jesus yeah, Christ. Charles Manson wasn't, he wasn't able to be produced. <laughs> um, but we're going to play the, uh, one of his songs called Cease to Exist. And this will come back up in part three because there's some issues with this song. But this is one of his. Pretty girl, pretty, pretty girl. Cease to exist. Just come and say you love me. Give up your work. Come on, you can't be. I'm your kind, oh, your kind, I can see. Walk on, walk on. I love you, pretty girl. My life is yours, and you can have my world. Never had a lesson I ever learned. But I know we all get our turn. I love 
never learn not to love you. Submission is a gift. Go on, give it to your brother. Love and understanding is for one another. I'm your kind. I'm your kind. I'm your brother. I actually like his voice. He made good music. His voice is not bad. Yeah, the lyrics are a little silly. The lyrics are silly and the music... It's not for me. It reminds me of that fucking awful Nicolas Cage LSD acid movie you guys made me watch, which was just terrible. <laughs> Mandy? Come on. <laughs> it's just awful. But his voice is not bad. Yeah. I mean, he made good music and people were really interested in him. It wasn't like... Was that him playing the music too for this one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't love that. I, I just thought his voice was, was not bad. I could listen to that voice. We'll talk about it next week, but the... The Beach Boys end up taking that song and they turned it into. Uh, I wish they all could be California girls. <laughs> they turned it into Never Learn Not to Love and they changed some stuff about it. But I don't think he liked that, huh? No. Probably wasn't as good either. No, I like I like Charlie's version better. You know what that? Do you know the, the Donovan song, The Season of the Witch? That's what that reminds me of. That sound, mm-hmm. the way he's singing. I can't that song. think it off the top of my head, but I'm sure I, I know it. That sounds yeah. familiar. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah. What could have been? And there's a whole album out there of that of those recordings. Mm. Those, those aren't the Brian Wilson ones, but uh, those were another one that he got. Because he, he recorded multiple times. Like I said, people were actually interested in him. If he had just listened, he might have, uh, the story might have had a different outcome. Yeah. He'd be doing his reunion yeah, tour right. right now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be there. We'd be there, right? <laughs> the Beach Boys had started their own record label. Okay. And when he recorded Murder Death Row, I think it was Death Row. <laughs> it was Death Row Records started by the Beach Boys. When the Beach Boys started that label up, it was to sign acts like Charles Manson, those Janis Joplin's, things like that, okay. that they couldn't do, but they wanted to get on board with that. So that's what that's why um, Charles Manson recorded at Brian Wilson's house mm. with the Beach Boys engineer was to see if they wanted to sign him to their label. If yeah, if he would have played it right, Isn't that crazy, and not acted like a fucking asshole and pulled out a switchblade and shit, <laughs> switchblade. <laughs> yeah, we could we could be talking about him like you said is doing a reunion tour, mm. just like that. I, well, I also feel like people. He would not have lasted a long time. You don't think his uh, depth of talent was not that deep? Or just his mental a one-time capability. Like, you know, he would have ended up going down a bad route probably, yeah, probably. anyways. You know. He would have been back in prison immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He would not have been a long-term success. <laughs> no. He would have did he would have done something stupid. Yeah. Well, like I mean, the easy answer is he probably would have ended up raping like an underage girl. And then that would have came out and then he would have been locked up for that. A lot of underage stuff happening here. Yeah. 
He'd be on like a one-hit wonder show. I remember the guy Charles Manson had a song in 1968. And yeah. Then he, uh, went off the and he went to prison for mm-hmm. raping a girl. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he would have done, still been behaving the same. Yeah. Had he been famous, he just would have had more options available to him. Mm. Yeah. Like if he would have chilled out during the recording sessions, he would have gotten a record made in a contract. And then it doesn't change tour. who he is. Right. And you, you know. go on tour and you have all these young girls idolizing you, worshiping you in this day and age. And it doesn't have the ha- any happy ending. You're, you know, if you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit. So eventually that party had to end and Dennis's lease on that mansion ended and he moved out. The way that it's told is that Dennis uh, was out of town doing some Beach Boy stuff when the lease ended. And so he called Greg Jacobson and was like, hey, man, the lease is done. I'm not coming back there. The party's done. So Greg Jacobson is the one that told the Manson, you know, mm. Charles and and the rest of the Manson family to get out. Get the fuck out. But they still stayed friends. Him and uh, him and Dennis were friends at this point, even after, you know, all this partying stopped. We'll talk about it next week, how that all ended. But um, as of right now, they left on good terms. And from here, this is where they got their, you know, they're trying to, they're homeless again at this point, And they're trying to figure out where they're going to go. And that's when Charlie remembered that Sandra Good had a friend in at Spawn Ranch. And that's where they would live until the Tate and LaBianca murders. Some background on Spawn Ranch. In 1947, Lee and Ruth McReynolds bought a 55-acre plot of land on the western part of Los Angeles County. And they built a western movie set. Which, it's a crazy spot. It's like a 45-minute drive, something like that, from the city. Yeah, it's pretty close to the city. Right, and you just drive like 40 minutes, and it feels like you're out in the middle of the desert, like this big Mm -hmm. ranch. Well, you know, we're about 45 minutes from downtown Cleveland, and you get out here and... It's a different tide out here. <laughs> true. Just saying. But yeah, it's still LA County. It's and it's right there. Yeah. Yeah, we're a different county, I guess. So that makes it different. But Yeah, we're a bit rural at times out here. It's been pointed out by a bunch of called experts like Rick Ross and stuff that this was a perfect location for him because he still had access to the city for music purposes and stuff like that. But Spawn Ranch provided the seclusion needed for a cult leader at the same time. Makes sense. Uh, There was another movie ranch nearby named Iverson Ranch that filmed Big Western starring people like John Wayne. Tell the commie Panko Bastards moved in, Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) There he is. He's here. (laughs) When that ranch was booked, uh, the McReynolds figured that they could be the fallback ranch or maybe you know catch some b-side movie business that didn't want to pay for iverson and their venture was fairly successful but they sold it in 1953 to george spawn george owned a very successful milk business in pennsylvania but he wanted to see what was going on out west so george and his wife packed up their 11 kids and moved out to la but they got divorced pretty much as soon as they got there and his wife took the kids once George bought and named Spawn Ranch, he grew it into a major supplier of livestock and kept the movie aspect of the ranch growing. George added a bunch of Western-themed sets. like He built up on, on what they already had, and several B-movies were filmed at Spawn Ranch. Howard Hughes' Outlaw was one of the most notable, along with several episodes of Bonanza. 
After Bonanza, Western started becoming less popular and Spawn Ranch turned into more of a tourist spot. Like, look where all these shows were filmed and stuff. And at the same time, George was running a horse riding business. Like, you could rent a horse and go on guided horse rides. By 1968, George was 80 years old and blind and still running his business with the help of a few people. Isn't it wild that all those shows used to be Westerns on TV? Yeah. Isn't it very strange? It just doesn't seem like something that would ever be popular, but for some reason it yeah. really was. Like 50s and 60s, all these Westerns on TV. A lot of Western movies, Western TV shows, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, all that stuff. It, is there a theme to that, though? Like, you know, you get to the 80s and like it's the Star Wars, the Star Trek type things. Like, maybe there's a theme to that, kind of. I don't know. Like people go through phases where like that's like the hit thing. Like you want to watch that. Yeah, like see. one does good and then they keep making more and more and more and then sooner or later I feel like everything now, on TV is a western. Yeah. That's a, I don't know. I well, I, I guess yeah, it's certainly more with TV shows. Like, you know, you got your your re- reality TV and all that and it just goes on and on. Like nowadays it seems to be like the CSI the law. slash hospital slash the criminal Fireman shows. shows and yes. stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess Star Wars, Star Trek's not the best. Well, Star Trek was a TV show, right? It was. It wasn't a Star Wars show. I know that much. <laughs> they couldn't get Hermione to sign on for a show. <laughs> I remember that. I read that in the tabloids. Well, she was too busy getting banged out by Teddy Roosevelt. She couldn't, she couldn't uh, make the schedule. Stop. Drop. <laughs> Shut them down. Open up shop. Whoa. <laughs> No, that's the way rough riders roll. <laughs> we want, I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, there's, like, there's those themes, right? Like that, that makes sense. There was the Westerns and then like, now it's like the crime and EMS type shows. Like the 70s was a lot of police shows, right? It's just that's still now police shows. How like the law and order. How many different law and orders have there been? Yeah. And the NC, like you said, the NCIS and the Criminal Minds, and yeah, that's a recurring one, I guess. Yeah, and what which one you watch? Nine one one. I do watch nine one one. Yeah, just the stuff, stuff like that. Like it's just ongoing. Mm. I don't know. It's a theme, kind of. Then, and man, like in the two thousand, it was a reality show, like Jersey Shore, the Real World, Real Housewives. Like people ate that shit up. Dance Moms. That like that was the thing. They're still doing Jersey Shore reunion, like actual new <laughs> oh shows. Like that's like, I don't know, reality TV became a thing. They're still doing new Re- Real Housewives. And then that led into like the the game shows, like the American Idols, the uh, Dancing with the Stars, the America's Got Talents, you know, all that, that shit. Like it led into all that. TV's just always been kind of like a yeah. a theme that catches on and then you ride it for as long as you can. So when Charlie showed up, um, you know, George was 80 years old and blind. He had some people on the ranch, but he was happy to have young people. And Charlie didn't tell them, didn't tell George how many people were coming. Like he made it just seem like a couple. And there's, there's two different versions. Squeaky will say that she was living with George because she wanted the house. Everybody else was like living in shacks and shit. Okay. Like really roughing it. Um, she wanted the house. She wanted to live in the house. She I wanted to yeah. running water and stuff. So she would, you know, 
she would fuck George sometimes. Oh. She took care of... I just want to smell his dick. <laughs> I didn't say that, for the record. I don't want to smell George's dick. <laughs> I thought you had a thing for squeaky. Nope. So, yeah, she would she would fuck George. Um, and, you know, she would take care of him, make his food and stuff. And Not a bad deal when you're 80 and blind, right? George was very That's happy right. with the situation. Yeah. How many times did they replace squeaky with, like, a dog? <laughs> I, I would like to know. Well, so there's another version of the story. <laughs> or though. a plunger. <laughs> plunger. There were other women, uh, Manson family women that were kind of would rotate with squeaky oh. sometimes. Um, like jobbers. Like, <laughs> like they're trying to get work themselves onto the main card. So like the abusive version of this is that charles manson instructed them told Mm -hmm. them this is what you're gonna do to keep george happy and make him not question things squeaky maintains that she did it because she she wanted the house sometimes you gotta sing for your lunch right she wanted you know she wanted comfort but there were allegations that he may have made other people yeah suck him off just to to be relevant stay around just to keep him happy just to not him being good standing yeah he said that very forcefully suck him off <laughs> suck him off i think the truth is somewhere in the middle there with like everything with this story no you said suck him off holla holla suck him off well i know i'm not hollering hollering that one but it's forced god damn i want you to go out there and suck him off. Mr. Man over here. <laughs> As nineteen sixty-eight was winding down on November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-eight, the Beatles released the White Album. And that's where we're gonna pick back up on part three. In part three, we'll get into Helter Skelter, Charlie's weird obsession with Dune Buggies, the Tate and LaBianca murders, and the trials. And by that we mean in part three and part four. <sighs> Yeah, we'll see where we'll try to get into all this one lands. (laughs) When do we get to talk about how stunningly hot Sharon Tate was? Next week. All right. Okay, that's gonna be a thing. I'm gonna have to do a Google. Oh man. I mean, I know what Sharon Tate looks like. I didn't know she was like a full part of the story. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's like the main part. Okay. Next week. (laughs) One of the main parts, the biggest part, I guess. Mike's like, did you guys know Sharon Tate had anything to do with Charles Manson's story? (laughs) No, I I literally (laughs) didn't say that. You said Sharon Tate's going to be involved, and I said, oh, that'll be interesting to learn about. I don't even know who the broad is. I think she did a movie once, right? She might have done a movie, yeah. Can't wait to learn more. She didn't blow JFK, so I'm not aware of her. (laughs) It's out of your scope, right? It's not something I would have ever researched or read about or watched on the the documentaries. Hmm. She was not on Real Housewives of I Blew Charlie Manson and He Sucked My Feet. <laughs> or whatever the fuck's else going on. All right, Dave, what do you got for uh, Patreon? All right, I got the second half of that big list from last week. Oh, it was a big one. Plus all the new people. I'm just going to burn through it, though. It's a big list. You're literally going to burn the page and just not read them? No, I would never that, do that. That'd be, be extremely rude. Here we go. Thank you to new patrons, Rose. Serenity Now, D Stains, Octa Awesome, Stacy, Krista, Jennifer Kelly, Roberto Espinoza, John Emmett, 
Wine Drunk Mike. Love that guy. Hate him. Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Brooks. Bradley Owen. Gavin Strong. Fuck Ian. Kill Dave. Mary Mike. <laughs> wow. That's rude. Very rude. <laughs> also, Mary and me would not be pleasant. You made a grave mistake. <laughs> But I'll fuck you over Dave's Greg, so. <laughs> Dave's grave. Sorry. Wine Mike. Yeah. Emma Gray. Caught in the middle. Keely. Ron D. I want Dave to eat my ass while Mike watches. Hey, you're now, back. Now we're doing better. <laughs> you might kill you. Some people might let you eat their ass. See? While Mike watches. What the fuck fetish do you got going on? She's just going to smile at you on all fours? Like... Are you cucking me? Like, is that what you think? <laughs> like, does she want to look at you or does she want you back in the in the back watching my tongue go up her asshole? Which, like, which view do you think? I want, like, do I have standing room only? Do I, I have to know. sit? That's do I have specific. to sit next to her beta cock husband? Hmm. I'm not sure it's a woman. I don't know who it is. It's the other thing. You don't make me bleed my own blood. So, like, I'm not going to participate. <laughs> <laughs> and your little fantasy games. <laughs> I'm like the dominant male in the room. <laughs> Izzy Wolf, the Marx Brothers, Kiwi Dillon, Kimber, Trevor Hawkins, Daniel Tringle, Jesse, Maya, Ian's giggle makes my cooter tingle. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Kerr, Zach Jennings, Jennifer Krug, Cody Blevins, Scott R., Jamie K., Shar Hopkins, Wesley Dixon. Rachel Wilson, Catherine Shrum, Brandon Wallace, Ian Speedway Raccoon Crew. Oh, they got together and joined. I haven't seen them so, in a long yeah. time since they put that new uh, <laughs> thing in where you can't make a left turn. In this oh, speedway. yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, no. I don't go there anymore. So it's way out of the way. Those raccoons can fend for themselves. I missed all that. I don't go to Speedway anymore because you can't make a left turn. Oh, I see. Yeah. I just make the U turn, the illegal one. Oh, <laughs> Copper's got to catch me first, motherfuckers. <laughs> Too afraid of me. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dylan Lang, Milu Sass, Ryan McNaughton, Stacy Cathers, Alexis McCullough, Margaret Thatcher, Mike's Cum Snatcher. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> Aurora. Devin Hartzler, Robin, Tommy Goodwin, Ryan Doherty, Raquel Gomez, Kelly Costa, Sarah Nash, Sarah McCoy, David Bowie, riding on a tiger made of lightning. All right, there you go. Sounds fucking awesome. Elizabeth, Mo 50487, Anthony, Michael Hajanaki, Charlotte, your pal Ren, Heather Eisel. Ravine with an E, Elizabeth Vicenna, Joey Grable, Mary Fagan, Christopher McCall. Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> it's literally like E H space E H H space E H H H H. It's funny. <laughs> Michaela loves Ian. Sherry, no, we're not related. Bundy, Jake Rhino. GTR 6-3, Sarah Spittler, Nicole Rice, Little Nelly Sparkles, 
Skyla E, Lisa Famalek, Karma Police 99, Ryan McGraw, Chatelain, Ann Frankenstein, Tracy Jennings, Brooklyn Plogger, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> That's funny. Dick His name is Kiefer. It's a, it's a funny play on words, Dave. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Dick ain't 12 inches, but sure smells like a foot. <laughs> Fits in with the story nicely tonight. Needs Charlie a whore Manson. bath for Charlie that, for that wiener. Would be washing that foot. He'd be washing that foot. Jack Sidari, Annie Rubio, cream of some young guy, sex decliner 69er, <laughs> sex decliner 69er. Sounds like Mike in college. <laughs> Jamie Hunt, Squidifer, Rachel, Schwabby Schwab 19, Taylor Cameron, Mercedes and Morgan, Brady Kuntz, Melissa Daniel, Travis Catero, Caitlin Harbor, Harbert, Darth Maggot, Rodriguez, a beast, the Logan Scott, Jelly Bean, Desiree, Omar Moreno, David, call her Lyndon the way she be on my Johnson. <laughs> Cindy Sheik, Shannon Barons, Chuck Livesay. Nicola Jones, Kyle Clark, Trish Potter, Jenna Alicia, Kate Yarnton, God Funnies, Chase Hudick. Page three. Page four. Joey Cable, Linda Imms, Abby Kitcher, Speed Tech, Chaleo Gooseman, Shania Brownowell, Sean Dobry, Leslie Amick, Tanner Hammonds, Elizabeth George, Tony McGaw, Not a Hot Pocket, Cody Smith, and Eve Meelan. Thank you very much to all of our lovely new patrons. Man, good job, Dave, reading all those names. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it's not easy that. work. You got through it. Some good, some good, uh, good entries in there. There's some good ones. What was that one about a foot? What was that? I may not be a foot, but I smell like one. <laughs> My cock may not be a foot, but it smells like one. Something like that. It's a, That's a good one. That's fucking funny. I think it was page three, Dave. It was near the end. Dick ain't 12 inches, but is. sure smells like a foot. <laughs> That's funny. What do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Mike's newest girlfriend wannabe. Hey, thanks. I hope that was five stars at least. It was five stars. Oh, hey. <laughs> Uh, five zero four one one two six firewife eighteen twenty four mama ski avalon lonnie fletch two two one zero caterax and berlin thank you guys for the awesome reviews dave you got anything else i have one foreign review from a sultry voiced ian from canada the uh, review is titled ivana sit on ian's face nice look at that all right. Sultry voice. I like that. It's like sits on his face and he does the Ian sultry voice. Oh, I just talk. I like I, I like to think he does the Howard Stern, like the <laughs> 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 That is all I have. All right for this good? evening. Just 
good week. Good show. Long show. It's interesting the setups to the the behind the scenes stuff. You never knew about some of these big name stories like this. Yeah, and I <clears throat> like it's weird because next week's gonna get really dark. And it's like where where did this happen? Like why did this happen? And it's like that in his book too. All of a sudden he's talking about everything's helter skelter and everybody's just like mm. fuck society. And it's like, well, what, why, what, where did this turn happen? See if we can pinpoint that specific event. It's also, it's, it's interesting that we're, we're now two parts in. We yet, we have yet to get to the part where like, it's why we're covering it. Sure. Right now it's just a, it's been a two part setup. Yeah. To get to the, 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 the meat of the, mm-hmm. the, the subject. Which is interesting. Good backstory. Interesting backstory. Definitely. I wish they all could be California girls. Way down in Kokomo, Dave. Right? Am I right? <laughs> of course. What is Kokomo? It's a made up place. It's the made up place? Yeah. If is it for real? I didn't know. I thought well, it was real. I, I thought it was in Indiana. If Dave was a fan of Scrubs, which he should be, they'd get into a whole bit about how Turk believes Kokomo is a real place. And they're like, <laughs> no, it's not a place. And he's like, well, where were they singing about? It's not a real place. <laughs> we can do. Can we play a little Kermit to play us out? I, I want to hear it one more time. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Check us out on Spring for all of our merch. That link is available on all of our socials and Amazon.com search Necronomapod. Thank you guys so much. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. the Florida Keys, there's a place called Kokomo, that's where you want to go to get away from it all, bodies in the sand, tropical drink melting in your hand, we'll be falling in love the rhythm of a steel drum band down in Kokomo. Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take you to Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama, Hilargo, Montego, baby, why don't we go? We'll get there fast and then we'll take it slow. That's where we wanna go. Way down in Kokomo Artinique, that Monterey Mystique We'll go out to sea And perfect our chemistry By and by we'll defy A little bit of gravity <laughs> Afternoon delight Cocktails and moonlit nights That dreamy look in your eye Under a tropical island sky Way down in Kokomo Jamaica Ooh, I wanna take you to Bermuda Bahama Come on, pretty mama Key Largo, Montego, Rain
it there fast and then we'll take it slow. That's where we want to go. 